Okay, so before we go inside, let's just recap what we started talking about in chapter three. Chapter three, we started to discuss what, ha- what about, we know that we can access Tshuva throughout the whole year. We can always change. We can always refine ourselves and become better. Um, because of our mitzvahs, they allow us to tap into potentials that allow us to change. Oh, I'm sorry. White. I stopped wearing white a long time ago. <laughs> um, however, we said what happens if somebody is lacking in mitzvahs and needs to somehow retroactively fix his past so that he can fully have achieved his purpose in the world and the purpose for his soul coming down. So we said that that is when we need the 13 attributes of mercy. That is the role and the purpose of the 13 attributes of mercy in Elul. That when we can tap into the 13 attributes of mercy by doing the Aniladodi, by doing our tshuva, Hashem then helps us to help us that the teshuva should be a complete teshuva. That Hashem should return us to a complete teshuva, which means that not only are we forgiven for the things that we've done so we can change, but rather the, the past has literally been changed. And the, the light that did not go to the places it needs to go is able to be filled up with a new light that we draw down with this aspect of teshuva. So what we need to continue to discuss today, we left off with at the end of last class, was what's the difference between the 13 attributes of mercy throughout the year and Elul? We didn't discuss and we're not going to discuss the 13 attributes of mercy in the 10 days of teshuva because that's already another um, level. But uh, maybe we can do some standalone classes because we have some time before Yom Kippur to discuss what's, the thir- what's going on with the 13 attributes of mercy specifically in the what we call the Aseratimei Teshuvah. But we're comparing right now the difference between the 13 attributes of mercy throughout the year and in Elul. And we said that the 13 attributes of mercy throughout the year, as we started to read inside on page 30, al haguf bilvat, that we're trying to evoke mercy on our body specifically. Whereas during Elul, him harachamim al nefesh. But during Elul, we are arousing mercy on the life of our soul. So let's first discuss outside a little bit what's the difference, and then we're going to see that inside. Throughout the year, as we're going to continue to learn th- throughout the year from Armaimaram, we have a job to do, which is that every single one of us has an innate, natural love for God. Our soul naturally yearns to unite with God and wants to serve Him and do the right thing. However, it's called a hidden love. It's called the Ahava Mesuteret. It's called a hidden love. It's natural, it's present from when we're born, but it's hidden. The reason why it's hidden is because the moment the soul comes into the body with this love that's natural to it, it goes into a physical body that covers up that love and it unites with an animal soul which is much louder and stronger and therefore also covers it up. So throughout the year, what we're trying to do is to rein in our animal soul, to refine our animal soul, to cajole and convince our animal soul to allow us to reveal the natural love that our godly soul has. So we're, as we're going to see in the process of prayer, we do this, that by the time we get to Shema Yisrael, the goal is that when we proclaim our love for God, it's Bechol Levavcha, with both of our hearts. Levavcha is with two bits, referring to the animal soul and the godly soul. That by the time we get to the Shema prayer, when we're proclaiming our love for God, we are fully able to proclaim our love for God, coming from all parts of ourself. The prayer, the process of prayer until then is a process of trying to convince the animal soul to come on board because the godly soul automatically loves God. It's not 
it's not difficult for the godly soul to proclaim its love for God. The animal soul, however, naturally loves itself. And so the whole process of prayer is a process of convincing the animal soul that it's good for it to let us do our thing, to let the godly soul proclaim its love for God and maybe to come along for the ride as well. And that's that process of prayer, which we'll see how that looks inside, um, is a representation of our whole year and the process of serving God throughout the year, which is that we're we're focusing on the animal soul again and again and again, trying to convince it to allow us to reveal the love for God that's already there in our godly soul and trying to rein it in and trying to refine it. And so the 13 attributes of mercy that are available to us throughout the year are from an infinite place. Good morning. We are trying to invoke that on our animal soul. We're saying, God, help us to refine our animal soul. God, help us to teach our animal soul to allow us to love you and to reveal the godly soul. So it's a process where we're asking God for mercy on our animal soul to, ha- to help us with this process. And that's the pro- that is a process of teshuva. Every time we refine the animal soul, we rein it in. We say, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to redirect your passions and desires toward God. That is a process of teshuva. However, that process and that mercy if we do get it and we do refine the animal soul it's for the present it doesn't it changes the present and the future now my animal soul is help is allowing me to serve god and now my future will look different because now i can tap into the godly soul a lot easier but what about the past what about all the times in the past where we missed out on the opportunity to do a mitzvah or where we um, did, where we actually did a sin, where we didn't draw down the light we were supposed to draw down, or where we gave that light over to negative forces. The purpose of our soul, as we read inside, coming down into this body, is to draw down this light and get this elevation. So what if it didn't do that? That's what Elul is about. Elul is about tapping into the Yudgim Omidotarachamim, getting help for our soul. What does that mean for our soul? That the past wrongs should be corrected that the, li- that the light that was lacking in our life should become whole. And that is specifically for the godly soul because it's allowing and helping the godly soul to fulfill its purpose in this world. So throughout the year, we ask God to help us feed our animal soul, to sustain it, to nourish it, so that it is either distracted or it is satiated enough that it allows the godly soul to come forth and to be felt and experienced. In Elul, we're asking God to have mercy on our godly soul, that even though the godly soul wasn't able to fulfill its entire potential and purpose throughout the year, that the gaps should be filled in, and that the retroactive actions or lack of actions should be, com- should be completely forgiven. So in Elul, it's really, as we've been discussing until now, it's a teshuva shalema lefanecha. It's a complete teshuva, which means it's a teshuva that writes all of the wrongs in the past. Lefanecha, which we said is lepnimi yotecha, that comes from the inner essence and the innermost part of God. And when we can tap into that, it, it draws down a new light that completely fills in all of the gaps that was lacking from our actions or lack of actions throughout the year. Does, Nava, does that make a little bit more sense? About the difference? I honestly feel like you've just been repeating stuff that we've already been saying. Okay. Okay. Point, not, not too much has been new. So, maybe so, um, well, so we're going to still elaborate on how that looks with the prayer, but this is the main point. So is, do you have a specific question or is it just still not making any sense? It still just seems like the 13 attributes of mercy over here, they exist in prayer or something. And then you did say, like, mentioned prayer is a way that we can help the, like, godly soul and the animal soul unite like but 
like they're still seem very separate. The 13 attributes of mercy seem very separate? Yeah. Okay. Is that okay. Else? Like, yeah, like I'm still okay, confused, good. like what even is the 13 attributes of mercy? Okay, thanks for bringing that up. That's good. So we'll address those two. Anything else? Everyone else kind of following so far? It's fitting? Okay. Okay. So the 13 attributes of mercy, first of all, we'll say this very briefly. And I'm happy to talk about it more after class if it's still like not clear. We didn't go into too much of the Kabbalah of it just because of lack of time. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um, usually it ends up confusing people more <laughs> when you go into that. But there is the 10 Sephirot and there's the way that God relates to the world on a very logical way that starts from Chochmah as we discussed. And then there's God as he transcends the way that he's involved in the world. And the 13 attributes of mercy come from a place that is way, way, way beyond God as he's directly involved in the world. And so God, when we ask God to be merciful from a logical place, from his chokhmah, not from the 13 attributes of mercy, God's going to say, well, did you, did you um, do what you were supposed to do or did, it, or did you not? And then I'm going to judge you based on that. So we're saying, no, 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 we don't want to invoke mercy from like Tiferet, for example, is God's mercy. Like Rachamim comes from Tiferet. We don't want that. Because that is a logical mercy. So we want to tap into the source of mercy. God as he created this concept of mercy. God in a, from a much deeper place that is far more removed from the world. So that God can basically forgive us in a, in a way that's not logical. In a way that transcends logic. Now the way that that looks throughout the year versus Elul is a little bit different. We can always invoke this mercy from Hashem. But throughout the year, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get help. We're, invo we're invoking mercy from the Yudgim to help us with our animal soul's job. And to help us to do a very, very difficult task, which is to turn the animal soul, turn natural instinctual tendencies into something that's able to become divine. It's something that's able to serve God, which is a very, very difficult job. Just the job, just the job of the soul having to work together with an animal soul, godly soul, animal soul, is very difficult. So we ask God every single day for help to do that. And God gives us help to do that. But in Elul, we're asking God to help us not only to do our job and not only to help reign in the animal soul, but also to correct literally the past, literally to change the past so that our godly soul is able to be complete and able to get all of that light that it needs to get. Um, Let's read it inside. If it's still not clear, I'm happy to, to speak like to after class yeah, a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. Um, any other comments before we go in? Yeah. Um, so not in LL, the rest of the year. Um, if a and not in the 10 days of Teshuvah. What? And not in the 10 days yeah. of Teshuvah. But we'll the rest of the year, <laughs> yeah. when the 13, saying 13 attributes defines like the animal soul, what if a sodic earth is to do this? Like is a sodic actually tapping into this? Tzaddik's job is like totally different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A tzaddik, a tzaddik's role is very much not, it's not as much, like we're very, very focused on our animal soul and a tzaddik's just not involved in that. It's not involved in that. It's a lot more of a role of helping other people to do what they need to do. And also they have their own things. The, the Alter Rebbe wrote a book called Sefer HaTzadikim. He wrote a book, Sefer Shalbenon, in which we have the Tanya. But he also wrote a book, Sefer Shalbenon. What is the Avoda and the job of the Tzadikim? It was actually burnt in a fire. We don't have it. There's a whole crazy story Whoa. about that. Maybe I'll tell you another time with that. Um, with the Shpola Zeda and like with the... But, so I don't know exactly what a Tzadik is supposed to be doing, but it does look different. 
it does look different. Um, and maybe it's invoking mercy on all of the people that he um, that are under him, you know? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really curious about that thing you said yesterday about that uh, David's like sin might not be a sin and he's still ecstatic uh, because we, 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 yesterday we went through a homage class that, that he's a Balchuva, that he did to Shuva? Yeah, but mm. also that he killed Oria before like and he fu- like Uria. he fu- Uria. 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 you're Sorry. gonna you're getting the death there. <laughs> and then we were like, how is it possible not to think like that he did something because we're yeah. looking through it and we're like, dude, like how like how okay so that if we if we talk about that now we will not finish anything in the mimer. Oh, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah, but I'm happy. I am happy to to look into that more. It's it's a there's so many opinions. That's like the difficult part of that story that like if you look at this opinion it'll say something completely opposite to the other but if we get into that right now it's gonna like we're not gonna finish um anything else to do with what i just mentioned about the 13 attributes okay so let's go inside a little bit we're going to speak now about specifically the role of the 13 attributes of mercy throughout the rest of the year so that we can then appreciate the value of the 13 attributes of mercy that we're able to access in elo page 30 second line this is why it says in Anila Dodi, now we're going all the way back to the beginning, that Anila Dodi Vododili, the Avodo of Edel, which represents Teshuva, is Dan Haroeba Shoshanim, who sustains us with roses. Roses, referring to the 13 petaled rose, the 13 attributes of mercy. Perosh, the meaning of what it means that he nourishes us with roses. Roe, to shepherd, means Shemafanis, that he sustains at Yisrael, the Jewish people, liyot yecholim la'asot teshuva, to be able to do teshuva. And the teshuva that we mentioned, a complete teshuva that rights previous wrongs, etc. How does God feed us teshuva? Through shoshanim, through roses, through the 13 attributes of mercy. Throughout the year, okay, so now what's going on throughout the year? We say in the Kriyat in the second paragraph of Vahaya, in the paragraph that discusses what happens when we um, listen to God, right? What does God give us? And I will give you grass for your fields, for your animals. And then right afterwards it says, and you will eat and you will be satisfied. It's very, very interesting. It says, I will feed you grass for your animals, you will eat and you will be satisfied. Wait, who's eating? Me? The people or the animals? Perish. We eat the animals, we eat the grass? So on a simple level, yes. Okay. <laughs> but it's still, it's still an interesting lashon that we can get a deeper meaning from. But yes, you're right. Yeah, okay. We can eat because we have animals who can eat, definitely. Perosh. Yes. In Shir Hashirim, it says, beloved, My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the spice beds, to graze in the garden, and to gather roses. So wouldn't that refer also to... It's po- yeah, usually when it mentions roses, um, that's what we're... My beloved but has gone down to graze. I, I don't know what, no. like, are, is, are you bringing a quote from here? Well, it's, it, from it the, relates because he's... And I, Hashem, will give you grass in your fields oh. for your animals. So here it is... Animals, and, and then yet it's re- referencing again, my beloved goes down to graze. It's definitely possible. It's definitely possible. I, I don't know the exact correlation between these two verses from mm-hmm. Shashim and here. But here we are speaking actually and connecting this verse to God feeding us, just as God feeds our animals, God feeding us mercy over our animal soul. That's basically the way we're going to see it. Um, so perosh. What does this mean that God is feeding 
is giving us grass for our animals, obviously on a simple level, giving us grass so that our animals can eat, so we can get milk and meat and all the things that we can get. But what does this mean on a spiritual level? Behemtecha, when we say your animals, hainu nefesh bahamit sichlit. This is referring to the animal soul and to the intellectual soul. And if we had more time, I would love to get into that, but <laughs> we're going to speak about the nefesh sichlit a little bit later, please God, in the air. That in order that these souls as well, these limited, more physical souls, will agree that we can proclaim that we love God. The sages established us to say in the prayers, First, before we proclaim the Ahafta, before we get to the Shema, we say we say brachot, what's called the Birkat Kriyat Shema. If you look in your Sidur, before the Kriyat Shema, we have certain blessings. And the blessings actually have nothing to do with Kriyat Shema itself. Rather, the blessings are talking about the angels and the way that the angels serve God. The Ho'afanim, V'chayot, it describes the different types of angels and their service of God, as we're going to see, because the angels actually are called chayot, they're called animals, and they can teach our animal soul how to serve God. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to encourage and teach, educate, and convince our animal soul to get on board in serving God by the time we get to Kriyachma. Upsuke de Zimra, and also, have you guys heard of the Upsuke de Zimra from... Baruch She'amar, until the brachot of Kriyachma, or praising God, Sukkot Zimra means verses of song, or praising God, that he has the snow on the mountains and all of the different things that we say. What are we doing there? We're talking in the language of the animal soul. We're convincing our animal soul about the greatness of God. The purpose of this whole period of prayer before the Shema is to contemplate at length about the greatness of God, to the point that the animal and intellectual souls yaskimu sheloi will will also be convinced to yearn and desire God. And this, again, this is a representation of the work that we have throughout the year. It's a process where we're continuously engaging with the animal soul to try and convince it to allow us to serve God. But in order to arouse the godly soul to proclaim its love for God, we don't really have to contemplate too much. Since the soul of man is a flame of Hashem and the soul naturally desires to be one with Hashem, it's in its nature. The animal soul is not naturally yearning for Hashem, it's yearning for its own physical needs and desires. But the godly soul, all we have to do with the godly soul is to kind of get the animal soul out the way and then our godly soul is doing its job. Yeah, very simple. Very, very easy. Um, but that's what we're doing throughout the year. Throughout the year, we're focusing on trying to allow the godly soul to reveal its love for God and to have that permeate our whole being and our whole life. And the way that we do that is to work on our animal soul to allow us to do that. So we need help with that. We need help with this process of engaging in the animal soul. It's, when we've said this before, it's ingrained, it's stamped on all of the souls of the Jewish people. But teva toldotam mimakaram, in their nature, they, it's considered an inheritance that we inherited from Avram Avinu, actually. That we desire to be included and one, united with the light of God, and to attach to him, to connect to him. And that is why we say in Shema, 
I have given you grass in your field for your animals. Okay, so now we're going to see this on a spiritual level, not a, not a, not a simple level, perush. This means Asev heim hamalachim. Asev is referring to a certain types of angel, shluchei ha'ashba, who deliver a life force, shebahem ba'al-yadam, that through these angels, which are called Asev, nimshach ha'ashba milamala. There is a, an abundance that is drawn down from above, liyot lokoch va'oz, to give us strength, to be able to transform our animal souls. When we say, I have given you grass in your fields for your animals, I have given you help in order that you can work on your animal soul and do that very simple job, right? Of allowing our animal soul to, of having our animal soul allow our godly soul to serve God and having our animal soul do that as well. So we need help throughout the year as well. We need to invoke mercy throughout the year as well. But the mercy we're invoking is on our animal soul to allow us to transform and teach and convince the animal soul to serve God. Now, the calls there, this whole process that we just discussed, which, by the way, we're going to be discussing a lot more throughout the year because that is our, that is our job throughout the year. How are we supposed to, in heaven's name, convince an animal to serve something it doesn't see, right? Like that is, that is something that we're definitely going to be discussing more. But the thing we need to know is that God gives us help to do that in the form of the 13 attributes of mercy throughout the year, specifically mercy on our animal soul. The kol zehu bakol hashana dafka, page 33. This whole process is throughout the whole year. Aval b'chodesh elol, but in chodesh elol, ksev it's written, haro'eh b'shoshanim, who doesn't feed us grass, who doesn't feed us the mercy for our animal soul, who feeds us roses, a certain element of the 13 attributes of mercy that we'll see touches our soul. This is an aspect and a level of the 13 attributes of mercy, which specifically shine and are revealed in the month of Elul, so that we can do such a level of teshuvah, which can fill in all of the lack. So in Elul, we're trying to tap into a much higher level of teshuvah. And so the 13 attributes of mercy are higher in Elul, and they help us to do this higher level of teshuvah. Let us skip the parentheses now. These are note from the Temach Tzedek, as we discussed at the beginning of, of our classes, that the Temach Tzedek added some notes. We're just going to, unfortunately, we don't have time. We're going to skip that today. 35, second line. Now, okay. Now, we're going on to another idea now. So I just want to make sure that, this, that what we just said is understood. That the... Teshuvah, we are invoking from the level of the 13 attributes of mercy that we are invoking in Elul comes from such an infinite, essential place in God that it's able to literally right all the wrongs and fill in all of the lacks from the previous year so that our godly soul, we can have mercy on our godly soul, that its mission and its purpose in this world is able to be complete up until this point. Versus the rest of the year where the mercy that we are invoking is to help us to do our job to refine the animal soul to allow us to serve God. Is that clear so far? Yeah? Okay, so now the Alter Rebbe is addressing something very interesting. Until now we've been speaking about that the Sov of Kolomen and these very high levels of light are able to fill in, you know, if we didn't do a mitzvah and we didn't draw down the Sov of Kolomen like we were supposed to, that it's able to fill in that lack and fill in that gap. Here, now the Alter Rebbe is gonna say, well, what about if we didn't draw down Mamale Kolomen? Because remember at the beginning, of this mind where we discussed the two lights, we said Torah, Torah learning draws down mamale kolom, 
which is a more limited type of light into the world. And that's very important. And mitzvah, action of mitzvahs draws down sov of kolamin. So we said, what if somebody didn't do the mitzvahs and they're lacking in sov of kolamin? He should do teshuva. The teshuva will rectify the sov of kolamin that he didn't draw down and it will fill in all the gaps. So now the altar is saying, well, what about if he didn't learn Torah? What if he missed out on Torah learning opportunities and he didn't draw down mamale light that he was supposed to draw down? The altar of his conclusion is going to be that this teshuva also fills in the gaps from the lack of mamale kolomin. Not only the lacks from the sova of kolomin, from the lack of action of Torah mitzvahs, of, of mitzvahs, but also if a person is lacking in his Torah, that this teshuva fills in those gaps as well. So vehine amurazal, our sages have said in the Gemara, in the Talmud, al tikri shoshanim, do not read this verse as saying shoshanim, roses, Ela, read it, sheshonim. Sheshonim means that those who study Torah. We say every day in the Kretschma, you will teach Torah to your students. Shinantem, it's the same word. So the sages say we learn something. Don't read it as roses, read it as learning Torah. And the idea we're going to see is that these roses that were being fed, this 13 attributes of mercy that we're tapping into, allows us to do a teshuva that completes also the lack that came from a lack of Torah study throughout the year. So pirush, this means, sheshonim hu Torah. The sheshonim that God feeds us with, so to speak, sheshonim is referring to Torah. Me'inyan korah v'shonah, somebody who reads and repeats and studies. Laha'inyan, so what does this mean? What is the Gemara referring to when it says, don't read this verse as Shoshanim, but, as a, but rather Shoshanim? Ki This type of teshuva that we're trying to draw down in Elo, his purpose is to fill in all of that which was missing. All of the gaps and all of the revelation that was missing needs to be filled in. I have a silly question. How is it that... They can just kind of move the letter around in a word. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. So this yeah. happens a lot, a lot, a lot. And there, we we hold the language of the Torah to a completely different level than we hold other languages, because the Torah was written with the Aleph Bet, the twenty-two letters of the alphabet that God used to create the world. So, the what we call Lashon Hakodesh, the Holy Tongue. We, there's a lot of rules, okay? There's a lot of rules with how you're able to replace certain letters with other letters, how you're able to replace different vowels with other vowels. And there's a rule, one of the rules is that if something has the same root word, you can change around the vowels and you can, you can get a new meaning. There are, we're not able to just randomly do this. Like, okay, I think, you know, also with gematrias. Have you guys heard of the idea of gematria or numerical yeah, value? So there's a lot of rules that goes into it, a lot. Like, you can't just be like, okay, my name is this, and so it's a gematria of this, and that means that I am this kind of person. Like, it has to be done in a very, very specific type of way. Um, and so the, the sages, the people in the Talmud, knew how to connect different words. And we have this throughout... Um, we have this, we said in, in Davening Altikri, 
Um, don't read it, you're building, but rather your sons. It's the same root word, and so we can derive different meanings from the same word. Definitely not a silly question. It's something that comes up a lot that will say, oh, this word also means this, and now we can learn a whole new Torah just based on the root words that are similar. Um, and the reason for that is, if we were talking about English, it would be ridiculous, because English is made up, a language made up by man. So who are you to derive all different mystical meanings from words that are connected, right? Like pale and pale, like... Okay, that's not, but when it comes to the Lashona Kodesh, there are, there's, so much, there's so much deeper meaning behind it that it's not a coincidence that two words have the same root meaning. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as coincidence when it comes to the Lashona Kodesh language. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is not, that's definitely not a silly question because, uh, yeah, like who gets to decide? Like what if I can go now and just find all of these connections? So yeah, we take, we take the language of the Torah a lot more seriously. And we don't see things as being coincidence. <coughs> so we said Teshuvah needs to fill in all of the gaps, all of the things that are lacking. Whether it's a lack that came from a lack of performing a certain mitzvah, which, which prevents the sov of kol amin light being able to be drawn down, which is drawn down through the mitzvot, and whether it's a lack that came through Torah, either learning Torah with the incorrect kavanot or missing out on learning Torah opportunities, which is the source of the light of the and This is the reason why we say in the Shmona Esrei every day, or multiple times a day, bring us to a complete Teshuva, before you shleima daika, a complete teshuva that fills in all of the gaps, whether it's from the mamale kolomim that was supposed to come down from our Torah learning, whether it was from the sov of kolomim that was supposed to come down from our mitzvahs, whatever we're lacking, that it should be filled in. Sorry, what was the difference between mamale kolomim and So mamale is the direct, limited, individualized light that gives like a specific amount of light, mm-hmm. and then the sov is the generalized light that gives an equal amount to everything. So, yeah, so... Um, we said one is drawn down by Torah learning, so if you missed out on Torah learning, you missed out on drawing down that light. One is drawn down by mitzvahs, and so if you missed out on that, then you missed out on drawing that light. So there's a lack in our soul because of that. And so the, we're trying to get Teshuvah here on our soul so that all of that light that it was supposed to draw down can be drawn down now. This is why it says, who nourishes us with roses. There are two levels. An actual rose, which is not actually an actual rose, it's the 13 petaled rose, which represents the 13 attributes of mercy. This is referring to the awakening of the 13 attributes of mercy, which come from the deepest place within Sov of Kolomen. The Sheshonim, and we can also read it, those who study Torah, which refers to drawing down the Mamale Kolomen. So the idea is that the uniqueness of the 13 attributes of mercy in Elul and the Avodah and the Teshuvah of Elul is that it completes and it writes all of the lacks and all of the gaps that happen throughout the year. And now the Alter Rebbe is going to throw in Simchat Torah. You guys know Simchat Torah? Mm-hmm. When we rejoice and we celebrate with the dancing of the Torah. Because this whole process culminates with Simchas Torah. It starts on Rosh Chodesh Elul till Yom Kippur. 
this whole process of teshuva, and then we continue with it throughout Sukkot. And the culmination of this entire high holiday period is with Simchat Torah. And the way we celebrate Simchat Torah is with joy, is with dancing, and it's the idea of Simcha. Because when we're no longer lacking something, that's when we're joyous. When we're happy, it's because when we're like truly joyful, somebody comes over to you and says, what are you missing? You say, no, no, I'm so happy. I don't need anything. When we have a lack, when we feel like we need things all the time, we're lacking so many things, we're not able to be truly joyful. When we feel like complete and whole, that feeling of wholeness brings to joy. So this idea of that it culminates in simcha, in joy, is because this whole process is a process of making us whole again. This whole process of teshuva and invoking the 13 attributes of mercy is to make us whole, is to fill in all the gaps so that we are truly whole and going into the new year whole. And and the result of that, the side effect of that, is joy. That we now can rejoice in the Torah and rejoice in our mitzvahs because they are complete. There's no lack. There's no... There's no regret there even. It's all, it's all whole, basically. It's, it's a complete cycle and circle. And it ends with Simchat Torah. So it says, why is Simchat Torah? When we rejoice in the study of Torah and fulfillment of mitzvahs, celebrated after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it would seem to make more sense to celebrate the Torah at the time it was given on Shavuot. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur about being serious in our service of Hashem and doing teshuva for what we did improperly. What does that have to do with celebrating the fact that Hashem gave us the Torah? And so, v'zeu inyan simchat Torah. This is the true meaning of simchat Torah, she'achar Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and why it falls out specifically after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, why are we rejoicing and celebrating the Torah and the mitzvahs after such a serious time? She'ubechinat hamshachah, because it's the idea that we have drawn down simcha shal mitzvah, the joy of the mitzvah, al klalot hashana to the entire year. Ki me'achar shana, because since throughout the year, osim chisaron v'pagam, through our actions there is a lack and a blemish beharat sovav kolomin, on the light of God in this world. Al yadei she'ein makayimim ha-mitzvah kehilachtan, because we're not able to fully fulfill the mitzvahs as we're supposed to. When that new light is drawn down on Rosh Hashanah and on Yom Kippur, a light that is so powerful that comes from God's essence, a light that has never shone before, that it fills in all the gaps and it fills in anything that's lacking, then we can rejoice in the mitzvahs. We can rejoice in the Torah because they are complete, they are whole, there is no lack. When there's a lack, we're constantly thinking, how can I fill in that lack? And we don't have time to be happy. But when everything is complete and whole, we can then celebrate, we can rejoice. And all the way back to the mashal that we spoke about, about the king in the field, the end, 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 after the people have, the farmers have been able to meet the king one-on-one and taken into the palace and really, really see the king in all his glory. And then they're kicked out, right? And they're left outside the palace and then they start to sing and they start to dance and they start to celebrate. That's the culmination of this whole process because now they are whole. They are whole in their service. And they are ready to go into the coming year. I really like how um, also about the simchistator. Like I really like how my rabbi puts it because he like like explained like like that the fact that um, like even sukkahs after Yom Kippur and everything, 
is part of the judgment towards like if the whole thing is like all together like it's not it cannot be separated into different like time periods mm -hmm. uh, from the Rosh Hashanah to the to the to the Sukkot period like how um, like it seems that Sukkot has nothing to do with the previous judgment and with the previous like like uh like uh heaviness of, right of the it's a completely different atmosphere yeah it's a very different atmosphere yeah. but at the same time it is still like it is still a judgment in terms of like it is how the book is opened the book is written the right. book is sealed and then the book is kind of carried out and then the, what's in Torah? yeah yeah the last the no the, the simple story is like after the book is already carried out when you cannot change anything but that's also, it yeah. we are so joyous because we know that this is here like Hashem will put mercy on us and yeah. we know that we have the like we have the absolute kind of like un like understanding and realization that Everything's going to be fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Hashem's got it, you know? Like, it's yeah, like, we trust God that Hashem he's forgiven us you know? like, it's, and that he's given us a good, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because, because we, without it, it wouldn't be, like, complete. Like, it, yeah. it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, like, a judgment process. Without it, it would be, like, I don't know. Yeah. I only thought about it yesterday. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 that's okay. Awesome. You have a question? Okay, so I'm still... A little missing on the logic between the, the roses, but like, could I just say what I think it might be and then sure. correct me if I'm wrong? So, the whole idea with the roses and the 13 attributes of mercy, and then relating to chuba and the like and the different lights that we draw down. So, like, the Shoshanim can be read like one who studies Torah, and when you study Torah, you bring down the Mimale light, so that's why. Like, but that's why, like, the 13 attributes of mercy are connected to... Okay, like, so... Okay, you're right. So, we're saying God who feeds us with roses, or we're saying God who feeds us with Torah, okay? What's the connection between the two? Why can they mean both things? It's just an added point that the 13 attributes of mercy, that the mercy and the help that God gives us in Elul, right? Ani Dodi Dodi represents the Teshuvah in Elul. And then the second part, Haro'eba Shoshanim, or Haro'eba Sheshoinim, who feeds us with the roses, who feeds us with the Torah. The second translation of Sheshonim is just adding to the first thing. What okay. we said was God feeds us with, with roses. God helps us to do the Teshuvah. But I thought the whole point is like, like we have to reach out. Right. So that's the whole king in the field that we discussed. We have to take the first step. The Yurgimu Midotarachamim in Elo mean I have to first take the first step. When I take that first step to do Teshuva, I get help from God. That help comes in the form of the 13 attributes of mercy. The 13 attributes of mercy help us to do Teshuva that completes the lack of Torah study that we did, the Mamale, that's the Shashonim, it's just an additional point made there, okay. and it helps complete the lack of mitzvahs, which is the Sov of Kolomim, because the Yudgim Omidotarachamim, that we have to tap into in Elo. We, can't, we don't, can't just sit back on a sunbed and wait for it to help us. We have to do Teshuvah in Elo. But when we do Teshuvah in Elo, when we take that effort, the Teshuvah that we do is a Teshuvah that is so high that it fills in all that we were lacking and missing, whether it was from the Male, whether it was from the Sova, because the Teshuvah comes from higher than both. It comes from higher than Torah, and it comes from higher than mitzvahs. 
So that's the whole question of the first mimer of the king in the field. Uh, uh, wait, if it's such a high level that's being revealed in Elul, then how are you saying that it's Anila Dodi? Where does our effort come from? And the answer is, it's a concealed element of the 13 attributes of mercy. The difference between Elul, one of the differences between Elul and the 10 days of Teshuvah, in the 10 days of Teshuvah, they're much more revealed. That's already Dodi Li. That's already Hashem helping us. Anila Dodi, Elul, is a time where if we don't do anything, we won't tap into this 13 attributes of mercy. We won't get this level of teshuva. If we do do something, if we initiate, we get help. And that's the idea throughout the year as well, that if we make the effort to refine our animal soul, then God helps us. If we take that step, but we have to take the first step in Elul. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, there's already energies going on that even if you didn't do what you're supposed to do, you're still going to get revelation. You're still going to get forgiven. You're still going to get all of that. Elul is very, very dependent on us taking that step first. Okay. And so the Shoshanim Shoshanim, it's talking about 13 attributes of mercy. That extra commentary from the Gemara is just adding another point. Don't think that it's just filling in the gap of the mitzvahs. Well, what if you're lacking in Torah learning? Don't worry. It also fills in the lack of Torah learning which is, enables us on Simchat Torah to rejoice in the Torah and to rejoice in the mitzvahs because there's no, more, no longer any lack. Okay. So I wanted to end off with a story that I just heard this morning. Um, before that, is there any question? Like, it, this, is a very, this is an intellectual mimer, as I said. Okay? And I, I hope that I infused a little bit of a, uh, you know, the Rebbe's position on Teshuvah and things like that so we can also get some practical elements as well. This is, this is definitely an intellectual view of what do we mean when we say Elo is a time of 13 attributes of mercy, what does that look like and what is the celebration of that? Um, so there's a story that there was a young boy who was born into a Hasidic home in the late 1700s. And he was very, very, very smart. From a very young age, he was so smart that he basically outgrew his teachers by the age of 10. Like nobody was, he learned, from the age of 10, he learned everything on his own because he was too smart for his teachers. But he ended up learning everything on a very superficial level because he didn't have any guidance or teachers. And as he grew up, he ended up leaving everything behind. He moved to Vienna and he became like a very big mathematician. He published a bunch of books, um, completely, completely left anything, anything to do with the Jewish way of life. His father, he was once home, and his father said to him, why don't you go and see the Alter Rebbe? The Alter Rebbe, Rameshtei Azaman of Liadi, was known to also know a lot of like intellectual, what we call um, non-Jewish chokhmah, wisdom, okay? Um, he, he was known to be very smart, and, to, and so he said, why don't you go and meet him? So he said, okay, I'm going to go meet him. And... He booked a private appointment, what's called the Yichidot, a private one-on-one audience with the Alter Rebbe, and he came in with one of his um, books. He was very, very smart, he, with one of his like mathematics books. And he presented it to the Alter Rebbe, he said, look, look what I, you know, I want to talk to you about this, about like, I want to see how, you know, maybe a Hasidic person can appreciate, you know, things from the outside world. And the Alter Rebbe opened the book, and he basically flipped through it really, really, really quickly, as if he was like flipping through a picture book. And every so often, he flipped through every page, and every so often he made a bend in the page. Bend the page, continue, 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 bend the page, until he finished flipping through the entire book. Then he handed it back to this man, and he said, everywhere where I bent the page, there's, a, there's an error. 
and he ended up leaving. This guy was so angry. He ended up going outside. There was like a whole customary dance that you did after Yechidus with the Chassidim. He left. He ran away, went into the shul. He was so angry. He's like, let me check out. Let me check this out, though. He opened up every single page where it, where it had been bent, and every single page he found an error. It was a mistake. And he completely freaked out. He's like, this, like, how does this even exist? The altar was flipping through quickly, 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 quickly. So he went back to the shamish. And he said, I want to go back inside. I need to see him again. And the shamish said, this happens once. Like, you lost, like, that's it. And he started to beg and to cry. And he actually ended up getting really emotional. Like, on, just crying, crying, crying. I need to go back inside. I need to go back inside. And eventually the altar heard and came out and said, okay, come inside. They ended up staying for a few hours. I'll try to give instruction to his shamash. Anytime this man wants to come, you can let him in. And one version of this story, there's two, there's two versions of this part, but one version says that he came back every single day for seven days for a couple of hours. He stayed. And then he completely disappeared. And the Mittler Rebbe, the son of the Alter Rebbe, was like really confused by what, what happened. And so he went and asked his father, he said, who was this guy? And his father answered, you remember we spoke about Elazar ben Dordaya, the bandit, the really, really, really bad guy who ended up doing teshuva, and he cried and cried and cried, and his soul like left from teshuva. Mm-hmm. Remember we mentioned that story from the Gemara? The Alter Rebbe said, this man was the last Gilgal, the last reincarnation of Elazar ben Dordaya. His soul, because of all the terrible things that he did, he was forgiven, but his soul had to keep coming back to rectify every element and every area where he had, got, where he had gone astray. And... and Every time he was put into a body where he was given everything, like everything was supposed to work out. He was put into a Hasidic family, grew up religious with the love and joy of God. But every time he kept on, and, and this time he ended up leaving as well. He left, but he came back. And this was the last Gilgal of Elazar ben Dordaya. And I was just, I, I just heard this story this morning. I was like, that's crazy. Because this man, Elazar ben Dordai, who the Gemara literally details, did every single sin that's possible to commit. And the Gemara goes into detail. It's like horrific. This man had a very, led a very, very, very evil, bad life. And he did teshuva in one moment. And this process of teshuva played out for over a thousand years. And the altar said, this, this man was the last Gilgal of Elazar ben Dodaya. It was like his, his final kind of ta- challenge until, until complete teshuva. Um, so when we think of teshuva, <laughs> it's, I, I, people think, again, I've always said, people think of these like formulas that you have to tap into and figure out, and it's a, it's a complicated thing. But the encouragement that the Alter Rebbe really, really gives us here is that teshuva means taking the first step. When you take the first step toward positive change, you get help that far surpasses any of your abilities. We get help, especially in this time. We have, listen, we have a day and a half left until Rosh Hashanah to really, really tap into this. And then we have the 10 days of Teshuvah where we can tap into it in a much easier way, actually. It's much easier for us to tap into Teshuvah once Rosh Hashanah begins, so that's the good news. But we get help. And so it's not up to us to figure it all out and figure out how we're going to fix this and write that. We need to recommit ourselves to God in a way that is joyous, in a way that is taking ourselves seriously. And when we do that and we take that first step, when we do the God sustains us with roses. God helps us. And this continues throughout the 10 days of Teshuvah. And that's really where the bitachon that we discussed comes in. Like, how do we know that God's going to decide to 
build the world again? What if that's it? What if it's over, right? How do we know that maybe God's not, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm such an exception. We always think we're the exception. Maybe, you know, it works for everyone else, but maybe I'm the exception. Maybe I'm not going to be forgiven. We go in with this trust because God promises us. He promises us that he helps us, that he's going to help us. The things that God expects from us sometimes are actually, are sometimes beyond our means. But if they're ever beyond our means, they come with a tremendous amount of help. That if we can tap into that help, we can act in a way that fully surpasses our expectations of ourselves and our limitations and the way that we grew up. We can really, really transcend that. And God helps us. So this has been really fun. I know we we really did a a hard mimer. You guys should know that. Okay. Um, We we really did. So um, I hope that you followed along. You can always go back. There's always the English. There's the explanations. Um, But... It, again, it was a Haskalah mimer, okay? So it was an intellectual one. But I really, really wish you all a uh, You should have a really, really wonderful Rosh Hashanah that is full of joy and just trusting God that it's going to all go really well for us for the whole year, right? And don't worry about, like, the Malchus. Don't get too stressed about that. And you guys learned that, the, like, the Malchus is going away and Hashem's not going to be king and then he's going to come back. Like, don't stress about it, okay? <laughs> you look like you've been stressing a little. <laughs> we, we need to approach this holiday with a seriousness because it does depend on us, crowning God as king, but with a joy and with a trust. Not with fear and definitely, definitely not with sadness. And um, yeah, have a wonderful Rosh Hashanah. I'll see you right after Rosh Hashanah. So we'll start maybe learning a little bit about Yom Kippur and a little bit about the 10 days of Teshuva. Okay. Thank you. Very, very well.